Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson and with me as always is Aaron Miller. Uh, this is an interesting episode for us. Uh, if you don't follow me on Twitter or, on, or are not connected to me on LinkedIn, if you don't read the Beyond Devices blog, you might not be aware of this news just yet. If you do follow me in one of those places, hopefully you are aware of this news. But I am, uh, for the time being at least, going to be hanging up my analyst cleats, as it were, and taking a job with local smart home company Vivint Smart Home uh, starting next Monday. So I will stop being an independent analyst and will go being uh, and be a sort of an in-house analyst, if you like, and be running the uh, newly created uh, insights and research team at Vivint starting on Monday. So this is not necessarily going to be our last episode ever, but it may be the last before something of a hiatus. Um, I'm still hoping that we'll be able to record the occasional episode here and there, but my new work schedule and commitments and, and what has to be my primary focus for the next little while at least uh, is going to make it difficult for us to record every week as we have been. So uh, expect something of a hiatus. As I say, I'm hoping we'll still do the occasional episode here and there uh, in the future, but uh, this will be something of a transition point for us. As such, this episode, we thought it'd be interesting to do something of a state of the industry type episode rather than talk about just this week's news do more of a sort of uh, thoughtful episode talking about the uh, the state of things in the industry, some of the dynamics, some of the big themes, and that's kind of the structure that we're going to use here is to talk about some themes in the industry uh, as we see them at the moment. Um, and uh, so usual sort of length, probably not that much longer than usual, but uh, that's kind of going to be the focus for today's episode, as I say, before we take something of a hiatus. Um, if you're interested, um, they, I will include in the show notes links to two different pieces um, that I wrote this past week. One is uh, a piece I wrote on the Beyond Devices blog, which is just sharing kind of my transition, what, what's happening, uh, and kind of looking back a little bit on my career up to this point. The second one is a piece, my last piece for the Tech Pinions site, where I've been a contributor for the last several years. And that's sort of a state of the industry piece as well. So it kind of hooks into some of the stuff that we'll be talking about here today. Uh, if you're interested, as I say, the company that I'm going to work for is Vivint Smart Home. I'll include a link to their website uh, in the show notes as well. They are a big but perhaps underappreciated, underknown company in this space, unless you really actively follow the space. Um, they have over a million customers uh, in the smart home space. Started out as an alarm company, uh, have a somewhat unique model of door-to-door sales. It's, they've now pivoted. Uh, not pivoted away from exactly, but have now diversified away from, I should say, with inside sales and online sales and now a retail relationship through Best Buy as well. So a uh, really fascinating company. I, I've always admired them. I've written about them a couple of times in the past as an analyst. Um, you know, I think they have a really interesting approach to the smart home space, and so I'm excited to go to work for them. All right, well, with that, on to this uh, episode today. And as I say, we're going to talk about some themes in the industry by way of kind of framing some of this and so Aaron you kind of had a theme uh, that you wanted to kind of kick things off with well it's it harkens back to a class I took I think one of the most important classes I ever took as a as an undergraduate was an American economic history class and uh, it had a lot of great things about it I, I think viewing American history from any from the lens of an economist is a really fascinating endeavor I realize that sounds boring but I think economists look at really interesting things um, but there was a particular moment that kind of blew my mind and it was we were talking about modes of transportation in the United States and how those have changed over time so you originally had really terrible roads and then we had the canal system briefly and then we had the railway system and the interstate highway system and 
And all of these led to a great deal of economic growth. Um, you know, we talked about the invention of the automobile and so forth. The part to me that was so fascinating, and the professor did a good job of kind of illustrating this principle, is that we put too much weight historically on inventions and not enough on the iteration that follows an invention. Um, if you look at from the time when uh, we st first started building railroads to you know, to the time they dominated U.S. transportation, or if you look at the invention of the automobile to the, you know, eventual creation of the interstate highway system, <clears throat> inventions are really important, but they're not punctuate, but they don't punctuate moments of really rapid economic growth necessarily. Instead, what happens is there's a big invention, and it takes sometimes years for that invention to be iterated upon enough that it leads to the impact that it has. And the reason I've been thinking about this lately is because with the iPhone 10, we've had a lot of retrospectives on the original iPhone. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you compare the two, it's a night and day difference. Um, but it's been such a gradual change over the last 10 years. Um, it's been, you know, this sort of annual update that comes with some new features, a lot of features that people kind of poo-poo and then end up being fundamental to the way people use their phones. And, and obviously this has been happening not just with iPhones, but with smartphones generally. I think incrementalism is an underappreciated um, uh, attribute of the tech industry generally. I think we too often think about things as, as, uh, as disruptive inventions rather than um, sort of kernels that need time to grow and cultivate to really reach the potential of, of changing the way people do things. And I think that's been the case for the smartphone. Yeah, absolutely. I think the tech commentariat, I think, really reinforces that perception that big innovations and inventions are really the only things that matter and everything else is sort of insignificant. Um, certainly that's the way reviews are often approached and we've kind of complained about reviews and the review process in, in other episodes recently. But, you know, if you look at reviews, they often downplay incremental steps and improvements. And yet that's kind of all we've got in many of the product categories uh, that exists today. And as you say, over time, those add up to quite a bit and make, some, make for some pretty dramatic changes over time. Uh, and so I think that's that sort of perception that, that big inventions, big step changes are the only things that matter is, is really reinforced by the way that the media um, and reviewers in particular write about the industry, write about products, the way that they define innovation and so on is often about big, very visible uh, step changes and uh, step function changes in products and new product categories and so on and, and they're relatively dismissive of existing product categories that change more subtly especially changes that aren't visible and you really see that with iphone reviews in particular for the last several years where the basic shape of the device hasn't changed very much uh, you see a lot of reviewers saying this is not different basically and yet the innards have changed dramatically some of the subtler design features even on the outside of the device have been notable clearly the software has changed enormously over the last several years so you see that sort of focus on the visible the focus on the outward appearance the um, you know focus on big step changes in, in you know the commentariat and I think that reinforces as I say that perception that incrementalism isn't important yeah and if you think about that complaint that the smartphone is the same basic shape and function that it was from the beginning nobody would ever criticize cars for having four wheels and steering wheel like right. after all these years, they still have four wheels and they still have the same basic steering wheel. Um, it's a strange thing to criticize because that's core and essential to the feature of a car. 
and mm-hmm. and I think we just have to come to the realization now that smartphones are what they are in in their core essential features. They're always going to be this. They may get replaced with something else someday, but they're <clears throat> but they're not going to be that different from what they are now in terms of like the very core sort of identifying features. But you also can't discount the the incremental value that's been added over all this time. And, and ten mm-hmm. years. In reality, 10 years is incredibly fast, especially when you compare it to other technological advances. But, but uh, you know, it really has been sort of year by year, bit by bit, just kind of chunking away. And that, and, and that, and that kind of drip, drip of incremental improvements, just like water dripping over time, can, can totally change the geology of a space. These incremental improvements can totally change entire consumers sectors um you know if you look at point and click cameras for example i mean this is an industry that's that's been absolutely demolished by smartphones but it took time you know the original iphone had a horrible camera in it um compared to a lot of the nicer like canon point and clicks point and shoots that you could get but but uh, you know as smartphones have increased this became the camera you had with you everywhere and there was a point at which the camera was good enough that people stopped buying point-and-shoot cameras, and uh, and now they're, you know, as good or better in some cases, especially because you have these super powerful processors inside phones that can do things that, you know, the basic image processor in a Canon point-and-shoot can't do. Yeah, and that, that's another interesting aspect of this is, you know, incrementalism is a lot easier in software than it is in hardware, and, you know, with hardware products, you have to specifically release a new product it kind of has to be pretty much fully baked by the time you release it. You can't tweak it after the fact for the most part. And, uh, you know, other than with accessories, perhaps. Um, whereas in software, of course, incrementalism is the, is the name of the game, especially in an online software world. And so it's interesting to see how you know, Apple still has largely an annual release cycle for its major software platforms. It does do point releases throughout the year. And in, in more recent years, some of those point releases have been more significant than in the past. But Apple still works on this annual cycle. You know, Android also, as a as an operating system, works on an annual cycle. But for all kinds of reasons we won't go into now, there are a lot of things that used to be part of the operating system that are now at the sort of services or apps layer that get updated much more frequently. And certainly, if you're talking about online Google services, those are continually updated in ways that can be both good and bad. I mean, it, it means that the, in the next innovation is always there. If something's wrong, it can be fixed almost instantaneously. But it also means that you as a user have zero control over it. You basically use whatever version the company makes available now in a way that, you know, with uh, past sort of desktop software and so on, you had a choice explicitly about when you would upgrade to a new version of software. And until you chose to do so, you used the version that you were familiar with and so on. And so, you know, there's sort of pros and cons to both of these and packaging up a whole set of changes and releasing those annually and, and allowing you to explicitly make the decision to embrace that versus the sort of more incremental approach. But both of them are incremental in their own ways, and they add value to the hardware that we use and everything else that we do with them as well. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And, and you can see this incrementalism in other industries and, and other products that are at, at very early stages right now. I, I mean, in mm-hmm. terms of the more established industries, if you look at, at wireless technology, I mean, most people, there are many people now who use their cell phone, their their mobile provider as their primary um, internet connection. Right. And, and that's a crazy thought just even six years ago. And and mm-hmm. so, so there's been a lot of incremental improvement there that's underappreciated because you don't always see it. You don't, 
you know, you don't you don't see the towers going up or the hardware being upgraded uh, when it comes to wireless networks. But uh, you know, instead, it all sort of gets marked as three G, four G, five G. Um, in the reality, there are a bunch of improvements constantly happening under the hood all the time. Um, and, yeah. and then another thing is <clears throat> when you look at some of the newer um, product lines or product categories, I should say, there are, it, it tells us that maybe we shouldn't be jumping to conclusions about their ultimate fate. Um, that's, right. that's true for smartwatches. Um, I, think, mm-hmm. uh, inc- I think we can expect to see incrementalism make these more important to people. Um, than they are right now. And then I think you could say the same too for the smart home assistant idea. I mean, this is a market, this is a product right now that's kind of the everybody's, every every tech writer's favorite thing to sort of riff on and speculate about and write about. So I think it has an outsized media presence compared to its actual presence in people's homes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the shine will wear off people will maybe, and we'll see if people stop using these or start using them in new ways, but I think what will eventually happen over time is this sort of becomes more integrated and baked into the way people do what they do because we're going to get better at the smart home assistant thing. So Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, voice speakers and various other categories kind of in the same way like it's tempting to think they are locked into our current conception of them but they will continue to evolve and technology will enable that evolution Uh, new software updates will allow them to do new things and that in turn will allow us to use them in new ways and this is the way it goes as you've been saying so you know that's very much a pattern i think Partly this incrementalism, though, is an outgrowth of the maturity of a lot of these product categories. And you just mentioned some that are perhaps less mature, like smartwatches and so on. You could make an argument that they're based on a lot of the same underlying technologies, and therefore those are mature even if the product category itself isn't. But in mature categories like PCs, like tablets, like smartphones, and many others, there is a certain maturity in the industry, which means that we're not seeing the rapid change that we've seen in the past. That you know These products are basically reached a point where we know what they should look like more or less and the tweaks are kind of at the edges and the performance improvements are less dramatic than they were in the past so less about generational shifts and more about shrinking the bezels a little bit more or they're about making the processor a little bit faster or improving the hardware and software associated with the camera so that we get slightly better pictures and so on and so forth and so i think that incrementalism is partly a result of the maturity of the industry, um, but partly, uh, or rather another outgrowth of that maturity in the industry is changes to market structure. Um, and what you tend to see as markets go through various stages of their lives is that you get very different market structures. So when markets are nascent, you often have one player that pioneers a new market. You then have this rush into the market by both large existing established players and by a whole range of other startups and so on that come in and try to take advantage of that new market. Over the coming years, you see that explosion. And then as the market starts to mature, you see a winnowing. So you see consolidation among the players. You see mergers and acquisitions. You see some players going out of business. You see others uh, that may be bigger players. They kind of pull out of this specific market and focus on other markets where they're having more success. And uh, and so on. And so we've kind of seen that happen in the PC market where there's been massive consolidation over the last few years. We've seen it in the smartphone market where erstwhile big competitors like Nokia, uh, Sony Ericsson, um, Motorola to some extent, uh, HTC have either disappeared entirely or have shrunk dramatically from where they were once in the past. 
Uh, at the same time, the smartphone market's interesting because we continue to see new players spring up, especially in markets like China and in other emerging markets, uh, where players are springing up to meet different needs from the needs that are met well by the existing players that tend to provide great solutions for mature markets and the sort of premium end of the market. And so the other thing that you tend to get as markets mature is more specialization, such that players start to go after more specific niches and so on within the market and target those in ways that hasn't been done before, because that's where a lot of the incremental opportunity is now. And so those are some of the other sort of outgrowths of that maturity in some of these key product markets as well. Yeah, no, there's a, <clears throat> it's interesting, this winners-take-all kind of environment that consumer tech operates in um, uh, has a lot of the dynamics we've seen in industries in the past, and maybe because of the way I kick this off with uh, American economic history you know, class, it makes me think back. I mean, there have been other times when industries have been dominated by a handful of players, like in railroads or steel production. You know, I'm thinking of like the great robber barons from the from the beginning of the 20th century. Um, this all sort of like, it, it, it sort of settles over time and there ends up being ways for new, and, and I'm thinking of Clay Christensen with disruptive innovation and how players can come up from the bottom the way that's happening right now in Asia and the smartphone market. There's still room for disruption, but in the end there's still, there's a lot of room for disruption, but in the end it's still a handful of players that sort of control. Big players can get knocked out um, we saw that in phones with uh, um, with Nokia, um, but uh, but it but there's still always going to be big players, and, and part of it too I think has a lot to do with the way smartphones and and, and a lot of these product categories become platforms for features, and and so the way a lot of people enter the space is by creating features. And, you know, Instagram is a feature of the smartphone platform, if you think about it. You can think about it as its own product, but you can also just think about it as a, a feature of the smartphone platform. And there have been some apps that have been able to establish enough of a, of a, of a use case that's unique, um, especially because doing social is hard and aggregating a, a sufficiently large network to make it valuable to everybody there is hard. Um, but there have been other apps that just you know, to draw on an old uh, historical Apple term that have been Sherlocked, right? That, mm -hmm. that have been subsumed because like you said, with software, yeah. it's so fast and easy to iterate. It, it makes sense for, you know, Samsung and, and Apple and, and Google to, to just bake these in as feet as, as features of the platform that they're selling rather than having somebody else produce it and make money off of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I think the other part of that dynamic and sort of the competitive dynamics generally is we've got a range of dominant players and you can talk about six players, you could talk about some other number, but I think, you know, six uh, encapsulates a lot of the biggest, most powerful players out there right now. So, you know, you've got a lot of them begin with A as it happens, so Alphabet, Amazon and Apple. Uh, but then you've got Facebook, Microsoft and Samsung as well. Um, and, you know, they really dominate the industries that they participate in. And what's fascinating over the last few years is how those players have come from very different starting points. So some have come from hardware, some have come from software, some have come from kind of online advertising-based business models. They've all ended up, and one from e-commerce for that matter, they've all ended up occupying to some extent the same spaces. They compete more and more directly with each other in a whole range of categories, whether it's hardware where Microsoft and Google were never players in the past but have really become players over the last few years in 
PC and smartphone hardware and so on, um, whether it's content where players like Apple uh, that, that never owned their own content really served as kind of conduits of now investing in their own content. Facebook likewise kind of investing in some original content with a slightly different business model. Amazon obviously making a big investment in original content as well. You know, these companies increasingly come in to compete with each other and the reason they can do that effectively is they've all built platforms and ecosystems, right? So they've exactly. built something that's more than just their own set of products. They've built something that exists as a platform for others to build value on top of. And then they've created an ecosystem that ties together a number of disparate sets of activities in a way that is joined up, that adds value when you buy more or when you participate in more or you use more of their products together because you have often a single identity that allows you to move things back and forth between them or you use multiple different devices and that single identity ties those devices together and allows you to take activities that begin on one and continue them on another or have a set of content or services that's available on one and make it available on all of them, for example, through a cloud service or however else the back end works. And that is what makes these companies so powerful is they are really big. They've built platforms, which then attracts many others and adds additional value to their platform. And then they have a broader ecosystem that ties together a range of disparate experiences or devices into this coherent single experience that has the additional value provided by the companies attracted by the platform and the ability to make money through it and so on. And that's what these companies have in common. And that's what makes it, in my view, incredibly challenging for anybody else to break into that and to take meaningful share in any of the categories where these companies compete. Uh, because uh, they have that enormous power that comes from those those three things, the sort of the platform and the ecosystem and their sheer size, the fact that they have these enormous resources that they can use to instantly acquire, replicate, uh, shut out other businesses. And, um, you know, that's the dynamic that's coming up. And we've seen companies like Snapchat kind of come up and then sort of start to peter out as they become enough of a threat for existing companies to pay attention, to start to clone their features, to start to try to compete more effectively with them. You see that happen with Snapchat, you've seen it happen with Twitter, you've seen it happen with a number of other companies over the years. And from a non-Chinese perspective, because I think China is its own animal, that set of players is increasingly dominant. And you have pockets in India, Russia, especially in China, where local players are dominant and there's a different competitive dynamic. But in many markets throughout the world, it's that set of six players that's going to be largely dominant with a handful of others that will participate in individual sort of market niches or segments. So Netflix in content, in video content specifically, Spotify and music content. There will be uh, some hardware product categories. And we've talked about kind of TV boxes before where Roku is, um, you know, a surprisingly resilient player given that it goes up against a lot of the big players. So there are some exceptions to that. Um, but that's going to be an increasingly tough thing to do is to compete with those big players that have those enormous advantages. Yeah, and I think um, something that when smartphones first started taking off that a lot of people misunderstood was that hardware. everybody thought hardware was going to be a commodity and that it was really delivering... Um, it was going to be... It was it, like that the real action was going to be in what smartphones delivered. And I think I think it's really obvious now that that's not the case at all, um, and that and that having a place in hardware is going to be essential for having a dominance in the platforms like you're talking about. There are reasons that Google, even though they've had they've largely controlled the Android platform for years, there are reasons that Google is moving more dedicatedly into hardware, and the same is true for Microsoft in the PC space. The same is true for Amazon, even in the in the home you know, assistant space. 
I think everybody's kind of realizing that 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 you really have to be invested in hardware in order to be uh, dominant as a controller of the platform. Um, and there's so much about hardware that's unique and challenging in all these different ways. Um, if you you know if you think going back to the idea of incrementalism, if we think of how material science has improved. Uh, or I should say material engineering has improved in the devices mm -hmm. we use, it's, it's downright amazing. I mean, if you think about the way glass has changed and the way we think about and use glass or aluminum, right, or silicon for that matter. I mean, if you think about mm -hmm. the ways that mobile processors have, have grown so fast, so quickly, right, step by step, incrementally, sure, but, um, but I mean, there was a time when, you know, uh, Apple doing its own processors for the iPhone seems silly. And now mm -hmm. it's you know like like inch for inch, ounce for ounce, they they're making the most powerful processors in the world, right. and uh, and um, you know this is this is where the real competitive difficulty lies because you're talking about right. huge amounts of capital investments in order to be competitive in the hardware space, mm -hmm. and you know we talk about China about having all these upstarts. Um, there's a lot of money in those Chinese upstarts. I mean, this isn't sort of like garage level, um, you know, industry. This is, there's a lot of money in China right now. And a lot of these industries are, are very huge and, and very heavily invested in, in hardware. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the other thing that's interesting to look at too, I mean, we talked about how these companies have come to occupy to some extent the same space. And you were talking just now about you know, Microsoft and Google pushing into hardware, for example, Despite all of that, these companies continue to have some pretty fundamentally different business models. So the way they actually make money, the core of their business, what provides the outsized profits that allows them to fund the rest of what they do, that continues to be very different between these categories of companies. And you've got Apple and Samsung as sort of relatively pure kind of hardware companies, Apple increasingly less pure, I guess, in the sense that their services business is growing so rapidly, but their revenues are still dominated by hardware to the tune of 80-something percent of their total revenue. Uh, it's from hardware sales. Uh, Samsung, obviously, almost entirely hardware sales, although some of that hardware is components being sold to third parties, including Apple. Uh, you've got Microsoft that's primarily a software company and increasingly a cloud services company as the business model for software shifts. You've got Google and Facebook that are... Uh, primarily advertising businesses and Facebook's 97% and Google it's, uh, you know, 90 odd percent of their revenue that comes from that business model. And you've got Amazon from uh, for whom a lot of uh, revenue still comes from traditional e-commerce. Smaller chunks come from subscriptions and from uh, digital media and so on. Uh, and increasingly, obviously, from cloud services as well with the AWS business. So very different business models. And that has implications in terms of how these companies compete has implications uh, when they move into a category like hardware for how they sell that hardware and how they price that hardware, whether they need to make a margin on it or not. You know, for Apple, that's where their margin comes from, is from selling hardware at a, at a premium. Uh, for Amazon, Google, uh, Facebook, presumably when they get into that business this coming year, uh, you know, that's going to be quite a different equation for them. We've seen that happen in the smart TV box space where, you know, three out of the four major players 
basically aren't in that space to make money from hardware. And so you see them pricing very aggressively. You see Apple conversely trying to really major on premium hardware, sold at a premium price as they do in every market they enter. So it creates some really interesting competitive dynamics there. And in some cases also some tensions in terms of the implications for users of those business models and the way that their attention is monetized and the kinds of data collection and retention policies that these companies have as well. You know, I, what I love about this insight is I think it puts the lie to the the argument that we're going to continue to see consolidation. And, you know, a lot of dystopian type movies paint a picture of one global corporation that sort of controls everything. And, you know, Megacorp or whatever it's called in the movie um, right. is the one source of everything we buy and own and, and all of our entertainment and so on. Um, I, I just don't think that's a possibility because when you have all of these players approaching overlapping industries, but from different business models, there's so much complexity there to manage. It's hard to, it's hard to imagine one player consolidating all that, um, you know, without facing threats of, of competition to destabilize. There are way too many competing um, business models and you can't imagine, and it's too hard to imagine them all being consolidated into one entity. There's just too much that makes that hard. And I, so I, mm-hmm. I just have a hard time picturing that, that future. I think, like we, like we said earlier, this is a winners-take-all industry in consumer tech um, where you're going to have a handful of large players, but I don't think it will ever reduce itself just to one because, um, because that's just there, there are too many potential competing business models that, that can destabilize. And it's just so easy to forget that, you know, Nokia fell apart and, and other big players in this space have fallen apart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Internet connectivity used to be dominated by America Online. Um, right. right. I mean, there are there it's big players can be destabilized and all the big six that you mentioned are, you know, fa- always face that risk in the future. And they deal with it in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. to the, your point of, of how their business models differ. But I don't think we should ever take for granted that those big six will always be the big six we have for decades to come. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one of the biggest reasons for that is regulation. And I think yeah. that's probably the last topic we'll talk about here today. But, um, you know, there have been over recent months increasing calls from regulation. There have been congressional hearings here in the U.S., um, you know, calling in companies like uh, Google and Facebook and Twitter and so on uh, over the issue of, you know, Russian meddling in elections and so on. But there's also other aspects to this. There is uh, the privacy aspect of it, frankly. Uh, you know, in Europe there is a regulation that's going to come into effect in the next year or so. I'm trying to remember what the, the initialism is. I think it's GDPR, is the, and I may have some of the order of those letters wrong, but essentially there's these general data protection regulations that are... Uh, coming into effect in Europe that are going to dramatically limit what companies can do in terms of the information they can capture about their users, how they can use that information, and so on. And that's obviously critical to advertising-based business models, how you can uh, retain and use that information on users. And so that's going to have an impact. You've got the antitrust stuff that started in Europe with Google but may eventually extend to other companies. You've got some rumblings now among individual state attorneys general here in the U.S. about taking antitrust action against Google or other companies. Uh, You've got the AT&T Time Warner merger, which I think many of us sort of assumed would sail through um, because similar mergers in the past have done and because the Trump administration was continued to be fairly open to merger and consolidation activity. That now being uh, held up, the Department of Justice now suing to stop it. 
Um, you've got a lot of these moves out there that are preventing some of these big companies from doing what they want to do, what they've historically done, from moving forward with their businesses. And I think you know, there's a big question here about whether the backlash that we've seen in recent months over election meddling specifically will simply peter out as attention stops being paid to it and as new revelations stop coming out or whether that will snowball into something else. We've talked about that a little bit in the past here on the podcast, but there are some real threats to these businesses from regulation. And if they are prevented from uh, pursuing the business models they always have or prevented from evolving them as they would have done uh, absent regulation and so on, that could really change the competitive dynamics a little and open the door to other players to come in. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And again, history points the way. I mean, there was a lot of trust busting, you know, a little over a century ago mm-hmm. that that uh, right. destabilized a lot of these markets. And <clears throat> in fact, I, my mind has recently been drawn back to the wildcat banking era of the 1830s and 40s. And because of the way cryptocurrencies are taking off, and there are now startups that are funding themselves through cryptocurrency offerings, and they're called ICOs, mm-hmm. and it's absurd. Right. <laughs> like, I think they're ridiculous. <laughs> I think you're crazy to invest in one of these. But it's playing out like Wildcat Banking did, you know, almost two centuries ago now. And, uh, you know, th- 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 this all is the, just the nature of industry. It's the nature of business. Um, it's true that the dynamics are different, and it's true that things are moving faster than they've ever moved before. But there are mm-hmm. fundamental principles that just seem to always hold true about the nature of markets, and that's going to be the case always for, for consumer tech as well. Um, and there are always going to be regulators who are wringing their hands over things, and uh, there are always going to be people putting their attention and money into unexpected products that end up becoming dominant and they're going to be giants who fall and they're going to be new giants created and this is just the cycle of it and it's always it's going to keep going this way for a long time to come yeah no absolutely um i think we could probably carry on but I, and that seems like a really great note to end on you know there are other stuff we didn't talk about you know on the whole i'm an optimist i tend to be positive about the role of technology in our lives i tend to think that all the new tools that become available to us can be used in good ways and bad ways and it's up to us to make sure that we use them well. I think it's up to regulators to some extent to ensure that they're not used in, in ways that would ultimately be harmful to consumers. Uh, but I think the temptation to regulate can also be um, overblown. And I think especially in technology where move, things move so quickly, I think regulators have to be careful not to over-regulate and especially not to disrupt markets that would ultimately solve their own problems and solve consumers' problems as well in the process. Um, and there are issues like lack of diversity in tech, which we didn't even touch on and which are sort of tangentially related to the products themselves, but do have an impact on the products that we end up with when the people creating them are very homogenous and live in the same places and, and move in similar circles and have similar gender and demographic backgrounds and so on. So all kinds of stuff we could talk about there. But on the whole, I feel like we're in a really amazing time for technology. We have better technology than we've ever had. It's available to more and more people than it ever has been before. There's great competition between players. Uh, and it's a really fun time to be working in the industry, frankly, and to be you know, thinking about it, doing research on it, writing about it, and so on, as I have been for the last 17 years. Uh, and now to be kind of moving more directly into that industry and helping to shape one particular part of it, which is you know, focused on the smart home. Um, But thank you, everybody, for listening. As I say, this may not be our last episode ever, but it probably will be the last one for at least a few weeks while uh, I can get bedded in with my new role. But we do hope to be back with future episodes and um, at least from time to time 
And uh, I want to thank Aaron as well for all his uh, participation and involvement in this. This is a very much a two-person podcast. I've always tried to resist the idea that this was my podcast and Aaron was somehow coming along <laughs> for the ride. This, this started out as a series of conversations that we just had because we were neighbors and friends, uh, which we turned into a podcast. And I wanted to try to make sure we kind of maintained that as uh, you know, it became a podcast and as a podcast has moved along. So hopefully you've all had that sense as well. So uh, thanks also to Aaron. Thanks, Jan. It's been an awesome thing. I loved it. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, well, we'll wrap up with that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, stay tuned. There's the Twitter account for the Beyond Devices podcast, which should have updates as we have them. Obviously, your podcast app will continue to get new episodes as we do record those. Uh, but thanks so much for listening and for supporting us. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, there'll be a couple of links in the show notes, as always, to stuff that I mentioned uh, during the episode. Um, but again, thanks very much. And we'll be back at some point in the future. Bye-bye.